now take you into a service already in progress where Pastor Ashish exhorts the congregation and leads them in making the declaration. And right after this is a life-changing message for you. Please say this with me. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing. To many people, I receive His word. I believe His word. I live by His word. Christ is my master. And to Him, I am an absolute surrender. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated, please. All right, we're going to get into a second part of this series on Marketplace Mandate. We started this message last Sunday, talking about the marketplace. And again, none of these things are new. We've talked about these several times before, but I just want to remind us once again about these things. And this morning, I want to talk to us about proper motivation for the marketplace. Proper motivation for the marketplace. You know, when we are out there in the marketplace, those of you in college preparing for the marketplace, those of you already in the marketplace, whatever vocation you are, I don't think anybody gets into a job and says, okay, I'm going to stay in this job for the next 40 years. I'm going to stay with this salary for the next 40 years. None of us do that. I hope we don't. I'm sure when we get in out there, We're thinking, you know, how can I better myself? How can I grow up professionally? How can I, you know, come to a place where I'll get paid more, I'll get a promotion, where I'll increase my salary? Or for those of us who run businesses, I don't think we ever start a business and say, well, you know, I'm just going to be a a, a charitable organization. and, And you're not thinking about profit. You're not thinking about creating more wealth. You're not thinking about, you know, how you can bless more people. I don't think we ever do that. When you start a business, you're going to think about, hey, how can I make more money by doing less work? Right? Or I can do a little bit more work, but I will want to make a whole lot more. I mean, that's how you, you, we think about business. We think about our professional lives and so on. But I think as believers, we all struggle with this issue because time and again, the kind of messages we've heard from the pulpit always tell us, you know, don't go close to the God of mammon. God doesn't like it. Time and again, the messages that we hear from the pulpit are messages that you've got to leave the world and come follow Jesus. You know, you've got to be one of those bold people who have forsaken the world and don't care about the world. You're just following Jesus. And just imagine if all of us did that. We wouldn't be sitting in this auditorium because we probably wouldn't be able to pay for it. Amen? And many of us believers, but by the kind of things we've heard come to us from the pulpit over and over again, Those of us who are in the marketplace, we end up feeling that we are all second-class citizens of God's kingdom. The preachers and the evangelists, those who have given up everything, they're all the first class. But us in the business world, we're working day and day professionally. You know, we are very worldly people. God doesn't love us so much because of the kinds of messages we've heard from the pulpit preached to us. And uh, so this morning, we want to talk about these kinds of things. We want to set things in place so that we understand a biblical perspective on motivation for the marketplace. Now, you can't be a professional and not desire to grow professionally. You can't be uh, out in the marketplace and not desire and pray, say, God, I want to be promoted. I want a bigger salary. I want to increase. You can't do that. I mean, all of us in the marketplace do pray. For increase, for raises, for promotions. Amen? We want to do something of significance out there in the marketplace. And yet we struggle with the kinds of things we hear from the pulpit that disqualify us, demotivate us, regulate us to a second class level in the kingdom of God. So we want to talk about proper motivation for the marketplace. I want to start off with 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. Uh, I just want to go to this verse of scripture, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5, just to lay the importance of motivation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 
And verse 5, in the previous chapter, in verse 3, Paul has just kind of addressed the issue of people taking sides with ministers. Some people say, I belong to Paul. Some people say, I belong to Apollos. Or it's like, you know, in the Christian world today, some people say, you know, I belong to the prophetic church. I belong to the evangelical church. Or I belong to, you know, I'm of this kind of a Christian. And Paul says, you know, all that kind of thing is wrong. Get rid of it. Your identity is not in the kind of ministry, minister, the brand of Christianity that you, that you kind of belong to. Forget about all that. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. Amen? And sometimes, you know, in the Christian world, we are divided by the flavor of Christianity we supposedly pursue. Forget it. That's divisive in the body of Christ. But then as he continues his thought in chapter 4 and he comes to verse 5, he, he brings something to our attention. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5, he says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring both to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels or motives of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. He says, you know, there's a time coming when the Lord's going to expose everything. He's going to reveal the hidden things of darkness, things that we don't perceive today. We don't look at it with with our eyes. But He's going to bring it to light and He will reveal the motives of the heart. Then each one's reward or each one's praise will come from God. The point I want us to understand is that our rewards will not depend on the size of our accomplishment, but will be dependent on the motives with which we did them. Amen? Our rewards will not depend on the size of the accomplishment, but for the motives with which we did them. I will be rewarded not for the size of the congregation, but with the motives with which I preach Sunday after Sunday to you. Amen. The counsel of the heart, the motives of the heart is what is going to determine your ultimate reward. It's not how many nations you travel. It's not how many churches you raise. It's not how many books you wrote. It's not how many messages you preach. The question is, why did you do what you did? The motives will determine the reward. So motives are very important. And so also, I want to just extrapolate this to the marketplace. And when we are out there, what is the motivation of your heart when you're out there in the marketplace? And here's what we struggle with motivation as believers in the marketplace. For example, some of the questions we struggle with is, how do I manage right motives as I seek to be successful in my profession? We want to be successful. We want to go from, you know, an entry-level person to becoming a senior person to becoming a team leader a project manager one day a manager one day you know whatever a vice president or probably a president whatever we want to grow the question is how do i keep my motives right as i seek to grow up professionally or how do i develop a passion for excellence and wealth creation without selling out to the god of mammon If you're in business, you want your business to increase. You want to make profits. You want the profits to grow. But how do you do it? Keeping your heart pure. Keeping your motives right. That's the challenge for us. Other questions we might ask is, can I do what's right? And yet be successful in a competitive, profit-centric, bottom-line world? I mean, can can I have some values? Can I... Walk with integrity when everywhere everywhere the real thing is how much money you make. What's the bottom line like? Is it possible to be successful in such a kind of world? Can I be both ethical and spiritual? These are things that we as believers struggle with. And so I want to address this hopefully to some measure here this morning. As we begin talking about motives... A very important understanding that we must have as believers is, is this, that there is nothing wrong with profit motive. There is nothing wrong to be motivated by profit. Profit motive to a businessman is what crossing first finish line is to an athlete. It's the same thing. The athlete who starts off the blocks, he's not saying there, well, I must run a very Christ-like race and be very graceful. And it doesn't matter if I come last. I mean, he doesn't take off the blocks like that. When he gets off the blocks, his goal is, I must cross the finish line first. Do my best. Amen? 
The same thing with a businessman. Profit motive encourages him or motivates him to do things that will cause wealth creation. So there's nothing wrong with profit motive. And uh, biblical principles and being profit driven are not opposites. You must understand these things. Now, I've taught these things several times in several places. Some of you might, might have heard me say these things. But I think it's just good for us to come back to it. Just refresh our mind on these things. It's not wrong to desire profit or to be motivated by profit. It's not wrong. And I will show it to us from Scripture. Number one, the first reason why we can say that profit motive is not wrong is because God empowers us for profits. God empowers us for profit. And here are some scriptures that you and I are familiar with. Isaiah the 48th chapter, the 17th verse. God says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit. Isaiah 48 and verse 17. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way that you should go. So God is saying, I will teach you how to profit. God empowers us for profit. Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter, the 18th verse. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 18. God says, remember the Lord your God, because it is He who gives you the power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant with you. Remember the Lord your God, because He gives you the power to get wealth. In order to establish His covenant, in order to make His covenant good with you. As a believer, you're in covenant with God. And God says, I will give you the power to get wealth. God empowers us to get wealth. He teaches us to profit. Or think about wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Bible says it is God who gives wisdom. What does wisdom do? Look at some scriptures here in Proverbs chapter 3. We've listed them out on the slide there. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, I'll just pick out some verses in that passage, talking about what wisdom does. It says in Proverbs 3 and verse 16, Long life is in her right hand, and in her left are wealth and honor. So what does wisdom do? God gives wisdom to us. What does wisdom do? Wisdom brings length of days, wealth, and honor. Amen. God imparts wisdom. What does wisdom bring into our lives? Long life, wealth, and honor. So God empowers us in the marketplace to profit. In Proverbs chapter 4, verses 5 to 8, in verse 8, it says, If you will embrace wisdom, you will give her a high place. You will be exalted by her, and she will give you honor. Meaning wisdom will bring promotion. All of us desiring promotion in our in our professional lives the bible says wisdom will bring honor wisdom will bring promotion into our lives in proverbs 8 chapter verses 1 2 and 3 and also in verse 21 verse 18 and verse 21 here's what it says in verse 18 again talking about wisdom verse 18 it says wealth and honor are in my hands even wealth without equal verse 21 of proverbs 8 it says i give my lovers those who love wisdom I give them wealth and make their storehouses full. So this is the result of wisdom. It brings honor. It brings promotion. It brings increase. It brings wealth. So why is profit motive not wrong? Reason one, God empowers us for that. God empowers His people for profits. So don't be afraid to be motivated by profit. That is in your professionally I say God I want to grow professionally I want to increase God Lord I want to see a better salary by the end of the year God I want to see growth in my business I want a business that can that be prosperous whatever it is not wrong to be profit driven another reason why you and I can say that there is nothing wrong with profit motive is because in the Bible we see many examples of individuals who were both rich in faith and also rich in the world. They were rich in faith and they were rich in the world. Take a few examples. Abraham. Abraham, the Bible says, was a father of faith. Meaning, he was the front runner of our faith. An example of, of a walk in faith in God. What does it tell us about Abraham? To begin with, Abraham was a rich man. 
Genesis the 13th chapter, the second verse, the Bible says, Abraham was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. He had a good beginning, a good start in life. And he was a rich man. And God called such a man to become the father of faith, to become a friend of God. God didn't say he's a rich man, he's stinking rich, he stinks. No. God called a man who was very wealthy to become the father of faith and to become a friend of God's. So our faith in God and our wealth in the world are not opposites. And if you continue to look at the life of Abraham, after he began a journey with God, God blessed him even more. So that little later in the 24th chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 24 and verse 1, the Bible says, the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. He took a man who was already wealthy, got him into the faith, and then he blessed him to the point he became blessed in all things. And verses 34 and 35 of that same chapter in Genesis 24, in verse 34 it says, Eliezer, Abraham's servant, is speaking, and he says, I am Abraham's servant. And in verse 35 he says, The Lord has blessed my master greatly. And he has become very great in cattle, in silver, in gold, men servants and maid servants. God just increased him greatly. And this was a man of faith. Are you with me? So it is very wrong kind of preaching and teaching that tells us that if you want to be a person of great faith, you've got to disconnect from the world. That is not biblical. It's religious teaching. It appeals to the religious mind, but it truly discourages believers. Amen? Think about Isaac. Isaac, Abraham's son. A man of covenant. It says in Genesis 26, verse 12 and 13, Isaac sowed in the land. That means he went to work. He sowed in the land. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became prosperous. Became, began to prosper. And he became very prosperous. And he reaped in that same year a hundredfold. This is Isaac, Abraham's son. God prospered him. And God said, I am the God of Isaac. The same thing with Jacob. Now Jacob was a little crooked to begin with. He cheated his brother, ran away. So he didn't have a good start. But he met a bigger cheat than him and his uncle. Got into trouble. Suffered for a while. Until God showed up and said, okay, I'm going to bless you. Because I'm the God of your fathers. Of Abraham, Isaac, I'm going to bless you. And he's so blessed, he gave him a good idea, business idea, that just overnight multiplied all his possessions. And he came out from his uncle with lots of flocks. And he was just blessed. God blessed him. He went in with nothing, came out with plenty. And God said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Think about Joseph. He, Joseph went through a lot of trouble. He was a very godly man. And yet his walk of godliness got him into trouble. He was sold as a slave. Had to work as a household help in Potiphar's house. And yet the Bible says in Genesis 39, the Lord blessed him there. And from there, he was, his situation became even worse. He was thrown into prison. And I don't know what the prisoners of those days did. But whatever they did, Joseph was excellent in that. He was just outstanding in whatever those prisoners did. That the keeper of the prison said, you're the boss. He got promoted in the prison. Wisdom brings promotion. Brings honor. Brings exaltation. Until his hour came. In one day he went from the prison to being the prime minister. God blessed Joseph even through his adversity. Until he came into his destiny. David was a man after God's own heart. But look at David's heart. In 1 Samuel the 17th chapter. There's a very interesting time. Because David's dad sent him out to take some bread and cheese to his brothers. Who were soldiers in Saul's army. They were encamped to fight against the Philistines. So David just, you know, take some bread, take some snacks for your brothers. So David comes to deliver some snacks to his brothers who are in Saul's army. And here comes Goliath challenging the armies of Israel. Say, come and fight me. And none of these trained soldiers were willing to go out and fight Goliath. But David shows up in the camp and he, you know, he hears these soldiers talking, saying, Hey, did you know what Saul has promised to the man who goes and fights Goliath? Do you know what, what's promised? 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 25 says, You know, the king has said that if anybody goes and fights Goliath, he's going to give him a lot of wealth, a lot of money. 
He will give him his daughter in marriage and he will exempt his father's house from paying taxes. David hears this the first time. He says, man, this is a good deal. He says, maybe I'm willing to put my life on the line for this. But he just wants to double check on it. So he goes to a few other soldiers and says, can you tell me once again, what will be done for the man who goes and fights Goliath? It's in the Bible. He double checks on the rewards. And they tell him, you know, the man who goes and fights Goliath, the king has promised a lot of wealth. The king's daughter in marriage and exemption from taxes for his father's house. David says, I'll go. What motivated David to go fight Goliath? Don't tell me he heard a voice from heaven. No. Scripture says he saw the rewards. What gave David the courage to go fight Goliath? His faith in God. So he used his faith in God to pursue a reward. That reward was not going to go to heaven. It's going to come to David. But when he found out against Goliath, he went out with his faith in God. He said, Goliath, who are you to challenge the armies of the living God? I come against you in the name of the God of Israel. So he went out by faith in God. But he knew there was an earthly reward coming for him for his act of courage. Amen? And God said, he's a man after my own heart. Amen? So, what I want to encourage us is this, that, you know, we can have great faith in God, and we can be godly people, and we can be people who walk with God, and yet be people who will know, who will pursue success, who will be profit-driven, who will be wealth creators in our worlds. We can be rich in faith, and rich in the world. And the third reason why I would say that uh, being profit-driven is not wrong is because of the blessing of the Lord. It's kind of funny, all these preachers who say, you know, leave everything and, you know, you will be, you need to be very spiritual. So just leave everything, just, just live by faith. And the same people say, Lord, bless his business. Wait a minute, you just contradicted yourself. You just said, leave everything and follow God. Now you're praying, God bless his business. The blessing of the Lord, it makes one rich. Amen. Because of the blessing of God, you and I can understand it's not wrong to be profit-driven. A couple of verses here, and there are many of these in the scripture. I'll just remind us of a few. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 13, it says, For every man to have food and drink and have joy in all his work is a reward from God. To enjoy your work. That's a reward from God. Ecclesiastes 5, 18 and 19, it says, This is what I have seen. It is good and fair for a man to take meat and drink and have joy in all his work under the sun all the days of his life which God has given him. That is his reward. Every man to whom God has given money and wealth and the power to have pleasure in it and to do his part and have joy in his work, this is given by God. For you to have wealth and to enjoy it is given by God. Psalm 35 verse 27 says, The Lord is magnified to the prosperity of his people. And so on. Psalm 112 verses 1, 2, and 3 says, A man who fears God, wealth and riches will be in his house. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord, it makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. So profit motive is not evil. It's not necessarily evil. It's a gift from God when it's used properly. Amen? So as God's people out in the marketplace, let us be released from this religious thinking that just because we are seeking God for blessing and increase and profit and creating wealth, that we, are, that we might be doing something wrong. No. Profit motive is a blessed by God. It's something God inspires through His wisdom in our hearts and our lives. Amen? While we, in the marketplace, while we are driven by profit, creating wealth, and so on, we must also be careful to maintain godly motivation. This is the other side that I'm going to talk about before we close. Maintain godly motivation in the marketplace. And there are three aspects to this that I just want to share. How can I maintain godly motivation in my professional life in the marketplace? First, foremost, I must seek to glorify God. Amen? Meaning, I want... To glorify God, magnify God in the marketplace. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, he said, Whatever you do, whether you eat or 
drink. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do it to glorify God. Do it so that He is made visible. Do it so that He is made to look good in the eyes of people. Do it to glorify God. So as I am profit-driven, as I am success-driven, as I'm pursuing these things, I do it so that in, at the end of it, my out objective is I want God to be glorified. Amen? We looked at this verses of Scripture in Isaiah 28, verses 5 and 6. Last Sunday, God says, In that day, the Lord will be for a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to His people, for a spirit of justice to Him who sits in judgment, and for strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. Isaiah 28, verses 5 and 6. God said, he will put His glory and His beauty upon His people. But how will God's glory and beauty be seen upon His people? He said, I will be a spirit of justice to those who sit in judgment. Meaning the judges. God will anoint them with the spirit of justice. Those who turn the battle back at the gate. Meaning the soldiers. God will be to them strength. Meaning God will empower you in whatever vocation you're doing. He will anoint you, empower you. So that through that, His glory and beauty will be seen through you. Amen? If you're a judge, God will anoint you the spirit of justice. If you're a soldier, God will give you strength. He'll anoint you that way. So that His glory and beauty will be seen through you. So if you're a teacher, God will anoint you that way. If you're a businessman, if you're a software developer, you're a graphics designer, you're a trainer, you're a life coach, whatever you do for your vocation, God will anoint you so that through that work, His glory and beauty will be revealed through you. Amen. So whatever vocation you're in, God, let your glory and your beauty come through. That's glorifying God. Then the, at the end of the day, people need to come and say, hey, no, there's something different about you. You're not just another developer. You're not just another QA tester. You're not just another guy working in this company. Something different. What's it? It's God's glory and beauty shining through. You're glorifying God in the marketplace. Like we saw last Sunday, we glorify God through excellence in our work. Ephesians 6, 5 to 8. Whatever we do, we're not doing it to please men, but we're doing it to God. And as we put our heart into it, we're doing it wholeheartedly. Through our excellence in our work, God is glorified. We glorify God through releasing His kingdom. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So you say, God, I want to release your kingdom in this place of work. When you put His kingdom first, you're glorifying God. Amen? So when you say, God, I want to take your values, your principles, I want to seek ways to bring your kingdom into this place by me being here. I want to bring your kingdom here. Just seeking to glorify God. Amen. I want us to turn to a very interesting passage in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Again, it's kind of a very misquoted kind of passage. Matthew 6, 19 to 24, which kind of really puts believers down. I'm talking about believers who are in the marketplace. But we need to understand it correctly. What is Jesus saying here in this passage in Matthew 6, 19 to 24? Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, most people read these three verses and tell everybody, you know, stop putting any money in your savings account. Just give all your money to church. Live by faith and all that. Because your treasure's got to be in heaven. But Jesus didn't stop there. He continued. So let's continue. Verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Verse 24, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So he's continuing the same thing all the way through to verse 24. So as he tells us in verse 19 to 21, he says, Don't lay up treasures here on earth. Put your treasures in heaven. Because treasures on earth can get destroyed, can get er eroded. 
but treasures in heaven nothing can touch. He says later on in verse 24, you cannot serve two masters, you cannot serve a heavenly kingdom and an earthly kingdom, you cannot serve two masters, you either are going to serve God or money. But in between these passages, he's stuck in two verses, which we need to understand, verses 22 and 23, which help us understand or put this in perspective. How can I be a person engaged in the world, being profit-driven, want to create wealth, which in effect I'm creating treasures on earth. Yet how can I be a person who obey this command that I'm actually laying up treasures in heaven, although on earth I'm being a successful professional or a businessman? What is the key to it? The key is these two verses, verses 22 and 23. He says the lamp of the body is the eye. So there is the natural thing he's talking about which brings out spiritual meaning. He's saying, the lamp of the body is the eye. Your eye will determine whether you have light or you're walking in darkness. Your eye, your eyesight. Let's talk about the natural first. If you've got good eyesight, then everything is bright. And you can walk very carefully. You will not stumble, you will not fall. But if I'm blind, if my eye is bad, if I'm blind, I bump into all kinds of things. I fall into all kinds of ditches. My world is in darkness. That's in, that's in the natural world. So apply this to the spiritual. If your eye is in the right place, your eye is clear, you've got a good eye, then your life is full of lights. Amen? But if your eye is bad, your world is full of darkness, spiritually. That means if your eye your sight is set on heaven. Your world is full of lights. Your eye is good. Amen? But if your eye is set on self, other things, your eye is bad. And you are in darkness. So the, the crucial test is simply this. Where is your eye? What kind of eye do you have? Is your eye on, the, on God's? On the things of God. That will determine whether your life is in darkness or light. Amen? So you can be in the professional world, creating wealth, doing business, growing professionally. And if you've got your eye on the Lord, your vision is clear. Why you are here, why you're doing what you're doing, your life is full of lights. Nothing to worry about. You're setting up treasures up in heaven. Amen? But... If your eye is on the self, if your eye is on, you know, how many people come to my meetings, how many people told me it's a good sermon, how many people buy my books, how many people buy my tapes, and how many people, how many invitations I get, your eye is bad. And your world is full of darkness, even though you may be doing some spiritual stuff. You can be very spiritual, but still have a bad eye. Because your eye is not set on God. It's set on self, or set on how much you accomplish here on earth. Are you with me? It's not the context of what you're doing. The context is where is your eye. And definitely, you cannot be a cross-eyed Christian. <laughs> one eye in heaven, one eye on earth, please. Where is your eye? That will determine if you're setting up treasures up in heaven or here on earth. The second godly motivation you and I must have is that we must pursue wealth creation for the common goods. Wealth creation for the common good. Meaning, whatever I do, I am seeking the benefit of people. And Paul gives us this important admonition in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be haughty, not to become proud, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy, let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So saying, you know, you're prosperous in this world, but this has got to be your heart. Your heart has got to be set on doing good, sharing, giving. Then you're setting, you're laying up a good treasure up in heaven. Amen? 
So here's a godly motivation to maintain as you're pursuing success, wealth creation in the marketplace. What? God, you bless me. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day I want this to become a conduit of blessing to other people. Or you bless my business so that I can create jobs, I can get good jobs, I can give a good working environment for my employees, and I can get them to be blessed. Amen? So you pursue success so that it can be a blessing to others. You move from earning a living to serving a purpose. Amen? That's a godly motivation. And it's very interesting that many organizations around the world are now ad- adopting a CSR program in their organizations. Just a corporate social responsibility or giving back to the community. You can call it different things. But organizations are realizing it's not just about how much profits we make, but how much we give back to the community. Even the world is recognizing that we've got to create wealth for the common goods. But it's a very biblical principle. Amen? And the last thing I want to say to us as we pursue a godly motivation in the marketplace is this, that we got to keep our heart free from covetousness and indifference toward God. Amen? What is covetousness? It simply means greediness. Wanting more for self when you've already got enough. That's covetousness. Wanting more for self without thinking of how we can be a blessing to others. That's covetousness. Guard your heart from covetousness and indifference toward God. Jesus gave us this story and he gave us this important command here in Luke 12 verses 15 to 21. He said, take heed, beware of covetousness for a man's life consists not in the abundance of things which he possesses. In other words, you don't measure the value of who you are and what you have, uh, who you are and out of your life by the things, abundance of things you possess. A man's life does not consist of that. And he gave us this example. He said, he spoke a parable saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. He said, this is what I'll do. I'll pull down my barns. I'll build greater. And there I will bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you've got a lot of goods laid up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This night, your soul will be required of you. Then whose shall those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus said, be careful of covetousness. Meaning, be careful of becoming greedy more for yourself. And then he gave the story of this man. He was already a rich man to begin with. And he had you know, huge success in what he did. And what was his response to the success? He said, you know what? I will big bigger barns. Bigger ways to store them for myself. That was his mistake. His mistake was not being successful. His mistake was keeping it for himself. Jesus said, fool, tonight if your life is gone, who will all this go to? You haven't thought of others. Amen? So be careful, he said, of covetous, being greedy for yourself. Instead, keep a heart that is rich toward God and saying, God, what do you want me to do? Whom do you want me to bless? How can I bless others with what you've given me? Keep a heart that is rich toward God. We've got to maintain this godly motivation as we go out into the world. Mark 4.19, Jesus warned us about the deceitfulness of riches negating the power of the word in our lives. Guard our hearts against the deceitfulness of riches. Jack Welch, in his book, written in 2005, his book called Winning, makes a statement, and again, I'm not saying he's not a believer, but he makes a statement. He says, career lust shows itself in tearing down people around you, insulting or disparaging them in order to make your own candle burn brighter. So even just a business leader knows, you know, that this thing is wrong. Paul warns us again in 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 10, he says, you know, Godliness with contentment is great wealth. So who is a wealthy man? A man who is living a godly life, who is contented, satisfied with what God has given him. He's a wealthy man. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he teaches us in that passage. He says, you know, let us be content with what we have. But if we fall into this love of money, 
that becomes the root of all evil. It leads us astray from our faith and leads us into a lot of sorrow. The love of money. So while I am pursuing making money and I'm looking for ways to increase wealth and profit, I guard my heart from being captured by money itself. Amen? Because the love of money leads me to all kinds of trouble. So guard our hearts from that. Proverbs 13.11 says, Wealth gotten by vanity will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. You work, you gather, you'll increase. But we use deceitful methods, it will be diminished. I want to close with these few thoughts here. You know, how do you and I define success? You and I are believers. How do we define success? This morning, I want to encourage us to expand our definition of success from just making money to making a difference. Amen? In the world, success is, you know, how quickly you've come up, come up the corporate ladder, how, much, how quickly you've increased your net worth, and how much money you've made, and how much money you're making. That's success in the world. But for us, success is not about making money. It's about making a difference in people's lives, in communities, in cities, in nations. Making a difference. Many times you can make a difference without money. Speaking a word of encouragement, being alongside somebody, being there for somebody, you can make a difference. I want to encourage us to expand our definition of success from just outcomes. That is, achievements, numbers, wealth, the recognition of fame. Don't measure your success by just those things, by those things. But look at it from significance or meaningful purpose. Measure success by that. They have accomplished something meaningful. Something that's brought value. Relevance, importance into people's lives. Here are three things to think about. My definition of success should include the fulfilling of my God-appointed purpose. If I've accomplished a lot in this world but failed in the purpose for which God designed me, I've not been a success. My definition of success should include being a good steward of those things that God has given me and a good steward of things belonging to others that I'm entrusted with. Amen? Are you a good steward of what God's given you? God's given you your time. He's given you health. He's given you a certain amount of money, a certain amount of resources, a certain amount of talents. Are you being a good steward of that? Are you using it properly? Are you a good steward of what others have entrusted to you? In your workplace, you have a certain position, a role, and uh, uh, you've, given, you've been given authority for certain things. Are you a good steward of that? That should be included in your definition of success. And lastly, my definition of success should include an eternal perspective. If my measure of success is only purely in this world, this side, this world terms, it's not a complete definition. But it should include an eternal perspective. What impact will this have for eternity? What impact will my life that I live, the wealth that I create, the success that I achieve, what will it have in eternity? Amen? So this morning, we've talked about right motivation for the marketplace. The fact that it is not wrong to be profit-driven. It's not wrong to pursue success. It's not wrong to pursue creation of wealth and seek God's blessings in it because God empowers us for it. Because God gives us the blessing for it. Because God is glorified through it. There's nothing wrong with that. That we can be rich in faith in God and also be rich in the world. But at the same time, we've got to guard our motivation. We've got to keep or maintain godly motivation as we do what we do in the marketplace. Amen? Seek to glorify God through excellence in your work. Seek to glorify God by displaying His anointing in the marketplace. Seek to glorify God by bringing His kingdom purposes, releasing His kingdom through you, right where you are in your job. And in the marketplace, whatever you do, you say, God, how can this be a channel of blessing to others? 
How can I do this for the common good? How can I do this to bless my customers? How can I do this to bless those who are serving me or under my leadership, whatever? And in that, God of our hearts. Keep it free from covetousness and becoming cold toward God. Amen? We're going to pray. The first thing I want to pray for, you know, Jesus said this. He said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? While it is true that, you know, being out there in the marketplace, being successful, all of that is good. There is an eternity we have to prepare for. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? What's the use if I gain the whole world, but if I lose my soul? What can I give in exchange for my soul? The question, the all-important question is, where are you in relationship with God? One day, each one of us will have to leave this world. And go into an eternity. And it's going to be an eternity either with God or without God. It's going to be an eternity either in heaven or in hell. Eternally separated from God. The question is, where is your soul? Only the Lord Jesus Christ can save our souls. It's only He who died for our sins on the cross. So that we could be forgiven. It's only He who can make us sons and daughters of God. It is only He who can bring us out of darkness into light. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question I want to ask you today is where is your soul? If there's anyone here this morning and you're not sure where your soul is, is it in the hands of God or is it just lost without God? I want to help you make a choice, a decision this morning that will bring you into the kingdom of light, that will bring you to Jesus Christ that will bring you into the family of God that will seal your eternity the Bible says he who has Jesus has life he who does not have the son does not have life it's as simple as that if you have Jesus you have life if you do not have Jesus you do not have life is anyone here in this auditorium this morning you've never ever prayed to receive Jesus into your life you never asked the Lord to come into your heart, forgive you your sins, to bring you into His skin. If you've never done that before, I'm going to lead in a small prayer and I want you to pray that prayer with me. Those watching online, those watching by television, if you've never prayed a prayer in your life, where you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Let's pray together, please. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? The question we're asking is, where is your soul? Is it safe and secure with Jesus? Is it forgiven? Is it in the light? Or is it lost in sin, in darkness? This one prayer can change your life. Would you pray this with me? If you've never done this before. Lord Jesus Christ, come into my life. Forgive all my sins. Make me a child of the living God. I believe you died for my sins on the cross. I believe you died and you rose up again. I welcome you into my life. I welcome you as my Lord. From this day forward, I will follow you and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We just take a moment to pray right now. Just pray over your job, pray over your career, pray over your profession, whatever you're doing vocationally. Just pray over it. Say, God. I want you to be glorified while I pursue excellence, while I pursue success, while I am doing what I'm doing to, for good outcomes, for good results. Lord, in this process, I want you to be glorified through my life. I want you to be magnified, Lord, through what I'm doing. 
take time to pray right now those of you in college just say pray pray for your career and say God even as I'm preparing for the future I pray you will guide my paths that wherever I go whatever I do I will do it with excellence I will do it to glorify God I will do it to bless lives around me would you take time to pray right now for that Father we just pray over people here this morning in the name of Jesus we ask for a release of your anointing release of your grace upon us that God as we go out into this world truly we will manifest your glory that your beauty will be seen God through our excellence through the way we work through the outcomes Lord through the results we produce God that that through the prophets we bring the prophets we make to the wealth we create in this world that you will be glorified your glory and your beauty will be seen through your people God we ask that your kingdom will be released through our lives in the marketplace right where you placed each one we pray that your kingdom will come that your will be done through our lives in the marketplace and Lord we pray for your grace upon each one of us that you will give us the ability to guard our hearts and to keep it free from covetousness and to have a heart that is rich toward God all the time give us this grace Lord each one of us as we engage in the world and see success and see promotion and see growth and increase give us the grace to guard our hearts and to keep it rich toward you we pray and ask this oh Lord in Jesus name thank you God for meeting the needs of your people today thank you oh God in Jesus name amen let's close arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you Though darkness covers the earth and deep darkness the people, yet the Lord shall arise upon you and His glory will be seen upon you. In Jesus' name. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.